her, my juvenile hockey team, ages 17 and 18. It should have been juvenile delinquents because there were so many problems that year. Fights off the ice, which my father just hated. And then there was another father who thought, he should do what my dad did. Dad was always breaking up these fights, and dad was strong enough to hold one guy with each hand, but this other father wasn't, and he would get poked with a punch. And then I told you about my dad one time actually having to go onto the ice and stop my coach from going after the referee. Well, this other father decided he should try that when there was an inter a, a little altercation on the ice one time. And he just slid on by the altercation. It was very embarrassing for the man. But he thought it was his responsibility. But I want you to know something. The Great Commission is the responsibility for every believer. However, the idea of making disciples, it can be awkward, it can be intimidating, and it seems like we don't know what to do. We don't know where or how to start. We believe that we have to have so much knowledge in order to do this. But today we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus had with someone. And I hope that this will dispel the fears or the, these beliefs that you have. See, when we study the life of Jesus and we look at his ministry, we see how passionately focused he was on people. And there are 40 recorded conversations in Scripture that he had with individuals. And in these conversations, he spoke truth into their lives. He knew the power of a conversation. And one good conversation with Jesus could just change everything about your life. And here's what a conversation is. It's defined as an intimate back and forth sharing of thoughts and ideas. And a great thing that we can learn from Jesus in our journey of discipleship is that he didn't just talk at people, but he actually listened to them. He asked them questions. And just because you have two people talking, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have a conversation. So there was no script, but he'd say the words that would free you and would speak life into you. So I hope you're with me in this because I want to have more heartfelt conversations with people, conversations that matter and shift their eternities. It's okay to talk about the weather. It's okay to talk about sports and to talk about COVID-19, but there's something about a conversation that can shape somebody's life. And I want to be in on that. But a good conversation is a lost art in our culture today. You can turn on your TV or you can go to your social media account. And there's a lot of talking, but there's no real conversation. So it's up to us as the church to do what Jesus and the early church did. And that was to lead people to Jesus one conversation at a time. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. So I have a goal for you today. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for decades or maybe you're just a newborn baby in this whole faith thing. But I want to ask you, is it possible that we could be open to, that we could be ready for, that we could be passionate about heartfelt conversations, heartfelt one-at-a-time conversations, because that's what we're called to do. 
So today we're going to actually walk through John chapter 4, which contains the actually the longest recorded one-at-a-time conversation that Jesus had. And let's begin with verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more followers than John, although, in fact, Jesus himself did not baptize people, but his followers did. So there was a little misinformation there. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard about him, so he left Galilee, which is the southern part of the country, and went back to Galilee, excuse me, he left Judea, which is the southern part of the country, and went back to Galilee, which is in the north. But on the way, he had, so it says he had to go through Samaria. Now, a lot of people have different thinking on what that means because this wasn't a normal cultural decision for a Jewish person to make. They would avoid Samaria at all costs. So maybe he woke up in the morning, he had a great prayer time with God, and from that he just felt this nudge that he was supposed to go through Samaria. We don't know what it was, but I do know this. 85 to 90% of those heartfelt conversations that I have with people, they weren't on my calendar. I had to go to Sobeys. I didn't want to go there, but I had to go there. Or I, I had to go to Swiss Chalet for their festive special. And, but you go, and you run into somebody, and you get into a conversation. The remaining 10 to 15% are the times when you wake up in the morning, and you just know that you need to go and talk to a certain person. Either way, it's being open to one conversation at a time. So Jesus just keeps going. Verse 5, in Samaria, Jesus came to the town called Sychar, which is near the field Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Joseph was tired from his long trip, so he sat down beside the well and it was about 12 o'clock noon. So very quickly, we find out that being open to a one-at-a-time conversation probably means that it's going to be when or how or with whom someone that we never thought it would be. Jesus is tired. He, he's worn out. He's hungry, and he wants to be alone. And why do we know that? Because he just sent 12 grown men on to the grocery store, which is big trouble because they're going to pick out items that aren't required. And he did that because he needed them to leave. He needed some time on his own. And this is exactly when most opportunities come. It's not when we're rested and relaxed, have our teeth brushed, our hair combed, and then all of a sudden the opportunity comes and you're thinking, this isn't the way I envisioned this going down. And all of a sudden, you're on the path to a heartfelt conversation. So in verse 7, it just keeps getting worse. When a Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water. And there are a whole lot of reasons why this woman is the wrong person for Jesus to talk to right now. She's a Samaritan. And I don't know if you know about all the stuff between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, but they just didn't get along. And it had racial and it had religious implications, that hostility that they had. And this is a woman. And I don't know and I don't like 
what was going on at that time as far as social and cultural norms went, but men just didn't talk to women. It didn't seem appropriate. There was a cultural clash there. And then she's a woman that's alone. All the women would usually come to the well early in the morning while it was still cool. They would get enough water for what they were going to do that day. But this woman comes by herself at noon. So there's an issue there. Maybe this is a person with a shady past, and she's a woman, and she's alone, and she's a Samaritan. And there's every reason for Jesus to say, this is not the person I should be talking to right now. But he goes ahead and he starts the conversation. And at this point, I want to share with you some of the news we said was coming in this seven-week series of messages. Our associate pastor, James, has put some thoughts together here on one page. And what we're basically doing is changing our mission statement. And you're probably thinking, well, why do we keep changing our mission statement? Well, we developed one back in 2001, and then in 2012, we changed that, and we adopted love God, love people, serve the world. So the changes don't happen all that often, but maybe you're thinking, what's wrong with that mission statement? It's based on the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And every church will tell you that they love God, they love people, and that they serve in some way. But what does that look like in 2022? There's no shortage out there as far as ideas of who God is. For some, he's like a genie, and you just rub that lamp, and he's going to give you everything you want. For others, he's some type of impersonal force in all living things. And then for others, they think he's a cosmic killjoy that just sucks all the fun out of life. And there are plenty of ideas out there about what it means to love God. Some think it means taking care of the environment. Others think it's philanthropy. And we're living in a time where people have a lot of different ideas about what it means to love your neighbor. Today, the most unloving thing you can actually do is tell someone they're wrong and, you, and disagree with them about what is good and true. Thus, in the name of love, we try to avoid conflict and everything is tolerated and celebrated even if it is dangerous and wrong. So we want to get beyond the generalities of loving God and loving people and state our mission as specifically as we can. So Jesus gave this mission to his church, and, and we have it recorded in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority has been given to me, all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he will teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're going to be concentrating on this passage over the next six weeks. You're going to have that memorized by the end of it. But Jesus gave his church the mission to make disciples who make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. So everything we do as a church should ultimately be to help people follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to faithfully join the mission of Jesus. 
The church's mission is to make disciples. But in order to be a disciple, we actually have to have a relationship with Jesus where we know him and he knows us. And we get to know him through his word, through worship, uh, through prayer. And Jesus changes us into people who faithfully join his mission to make disciples. So making disciples is ultimately about making Jesus known. We share what he did, what he taught, how he lived, so that others will know him as Lord and Savior. So we exist. Here it is. Here's our new mission. To know Jesus and make him known. That's what it's all about. We aren't changing who we are as a church and what we're about. What we're doing is simply clarifying our mission even more so that we don't lose sight of what we are here for and what we're to do. We are Jesus' disciples who exist to make disciples by knowing him and making him known. And you know what I think? I think that the heartbeat of this church community is that we are pretty open to God working through us to make him known in our city. But maybe the problem is not that we aren't open, it's that we don't feel ready. And does that feel true? Do you think, but what am I going to say? Or how are they going to react? I, I don't think I know enough. I don't feel I've been in this Christian game long enough. Or I'm not good at this. This isn't my spiritual gift. I want you to be ready. So we're going to continue to look at this conversation that Jesus initiated and see how to do this. So we pick up now in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water, Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And this happened while Jesus' followers were in town buying some food. And the woman said, I am surprised that you ask me for a drink, since you are a Jewish man and I am a Samaritan woman. Jewish people are not friends with Samaritans. So she's saying, Come on, man. You know how this works. And Jesus said, if you only knew the free gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, where will you get this living water? The well is very deep, and you have nothing to get water with. And she knows that this well is probably 20 meters deep, and she said, I've been dumping buckets in it many times, and you have no bucket. You have no rope. I don't get it. Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and flocks? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person, giving eternal life. So the first thing I want you to see in the life of Jesus that changed the way that I interact with people is that you actually have got to be present. The start of every life-changing conversation is being present. So I can just picture Jesus. He's sitting there at this well, and everyone leaves, and we know that back then... Everything revolved around the well. Life revolved around there. Gossip took place there. So Jesus is sitting there. He's watching. He's waiting. And he's probably asking the question, what are these people building their lives around? What are they avoiding? What are they looking for? 
Now today we have running water, so we don't have wells, but we do have wells. Every community has a well. And if you are present in someone's life, you can find out pretty quickly what they're building their life around. Some people will build it around the local gym. It changed them, and they want everybody to know about that. For others, they build their lives around the local bar. It's a place where they can go and be real and take the stress off. For others, it's social media. Some people, they're building everything around their children right now. But what are people building their life around? They may have a lot of things, but not have the one that will really satisfy forever. And it's just amazing when you take the time to be present, when you sit and when you just recognize and you think, everyone is thirsty, Lord. Show me the people that you need to have your presence in their lives. So verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty again and will not have to come back here to get more water. So you're thinking, okay, she's on board, let's go. And Jesus told her, go get your husband and come back here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right to say you have no husband. Really, you have had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. You told the truth. Now, a couple of things pop out at me here. First of all, it seemed like we were doing great, and then Jesus brings up the men and gets us off track. And then the second thing is, what about these men? I wonder about them. Did they marry this woman and make promises? It's so easy to divorce. And did they divorce her because she couldn't cook or because she didn't measure up to them? Did they all just leave her? Or was she a prostitute? What's going on? And the reality is we don't know. But what we know and what Jesus saw by being present was that here's this woman. She's alone. She's thirsty, not just for water. And somehow God acts supernaturally to push this conversation to a totally different level. And there's a second thing that we're going to have to be ready for in these conversations, and that is we're going to have to be dependent and pray. And I'm constantly amazed at what God does supernaturally when you ask him to show up in a conversation. He starts to show you what these people are building their lives around. And you lean in and you say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to say. I actually don't even know what I'm looking at here. And then something just comes to you, and you feel a bit foolish about saying it, but you look at them, and you say this, and then their eyes light up, and, and they step back, and they go, how did you know that? Have you been listening to my conversations? And I respond, I don't know where it came from. When we join God in one-on-one -on -one conversations, you come to find out that you're not the first one joining this conversation. That conversation has already been going on, and you just actually come in a little late. And when you say, I'm not going to do this because I'm awesome or because I'm good at it. I'm just trying to join God as he draws other people to him. When we pray and when we're dependent, 
God will do some special things that will enable that person to know Jesus. He shifts the conversation in a way that nothing else could. In 19, the woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's how my conversations go. Uh, we get personal, and then they start saying how religion is wrong. And now they know that I'm a person of faith, so then they've got these other questions that they're going to start asking, and you end up debating and going down rabbit holes. And it takes about two of those conversations for you to say, see, that's why I don't do this. It's because I'm not good at this. And that's usually the time, and Jesus models this so well, where it's as if I can hear God speaking to me. And he says, Greg, I, I don't want you winning a debate here. Uh, I'm just asking, will you be real? Because I don't need some type of superhero. I don't need a Bible genius. I don't need a scientist or a politician. I've put you where you are. I need you. And when you start having conversations with people, they'll try to derail it by talking about science, or they'll ask, where's God in the midst of all the hunger in the world or in the midst of all the evil that we see in the world? They'll talk about the Roman Catholic Church, and they'll have their views on sexuality and abortion. And I want to tell you that this is normal. And when it happens, I need you to see a Jesus who steps in and who tends to take charge of the conversation. And then he'll lead you into not what makes us different, but what actually makes us all alike. And it's not about our infinite knowledge and our rightness. It's going to be our infinite brokenness and our dependency upon God and his unrelenting and his sacrificial love for us. That's what changes people. Just let me tell you about the most recent conversation that I had. And it was this past Thursday morning downstairs in our office. I usually have a great day on Thursdays. It's James's day off. Karen Cook, our administrative assistant, she works Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I get a lot of work done on my messages on Thursday. So note to self, everybody, if you want to get in touch with me, and it's not important, don't bug me on Thursday. And then, so I was actually even working from the house. I had set everything up in my home office, but I had to come over to the church for about five minutes to get a form ready for someone to sign and then to dig out some Core 52 books for one of our life group leaders. And just after I stepped into the office, the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was a woman who's part of a group that meets here occasionally. And she had said that during their last session, she had left some stuff in the case that they have their things stored in. And she wondered if I was around and she could come and pick it up. So I said, sure. And so there's the first thing. This woman has the only five-minute window in the day to be able to contact me, and she gets me. And this woman is actually from the area I grew up in, in PEI. She's older than I am, but a couple of her sisters went to school with me. And after she arrives, she very quickly finds what she's looking for, and then we get into a conversation. And I start to push 
the spiritual thing a little bit. And, and she says, I know you're a pastor and all of that, but she had some negative things to say about God and about church. And immediately, I'm on the defensive and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to start giving some arguments here for God. But it's as if I had this sense of, no, don't do that. Just ask some questions and find out about her story. What is going on behind this negativity toward God? And I, I did that. I asked a couple of questions and she just took off. And she told me how she was the oldest of eight. And when she was 17, she left the island to go to school. And in her first semester, her father died of a heart attack. So she came back home. Her mother had a total mental breakdown. So this 17-year-old had to take care of all the arrangements of the funeral for her father. She had to deal with all the financial and legal things that had to be done. And then she had to look after her brothers and her sisters. And then... I don't know where this came from, but I just said, and so now, actually, she said this first. She said, I don't know where I got the strength to do all of that. And that's when something just spoke to me, and I said, so the one who actually got through all of that is the one that you are now bitter at. And she looked at me. How did you know that, is what she was thinking. And then as we talked some more, we both had tears in our eyes. Then the real conversation began. We've got to be genuine. We've got to be real. So Jesus continues in verse 21. And he said, believe me, woman, a time is coming when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain will you actually worship the Father. You Samaritans worship something you don't understand. We understand what we worship because salvation comes from the Jews. The time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And that time is already here. You see, the Father too is actively seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I love the fourth thing. Sometimes as a church, we can be ready to be present sometimes, and we can be dependent, and we can pray, and we can be genuine and real. But then, folks, we've got to get to the point where we're truthful. Because the day is coming, and is here now, where we're going to get past all this. And it will no longer be about where you worship, about what songs that you sing, what ethnicity you are, where you were born, even if it wasn't on Prince Edward Island, whether you're a man or a woman, or what denomination you are. A time is coming when you're going to have an actual relationship with the one who made you. And I want to tell you something. But the older I get, the more I want people to know the truth. And don't you? That's part of being real. And sometimes you freeze up because you look at the person and you look at what you don't know about theology and you're wondering, you know, what if they ask? But I just want to bring you back to what is true in your soul. And I can give you a list of what's true in my soul. Uh, I... First of all, I can't look at the complexity of our universe and think that there isn't a master designer. And then I can't think that he would ever create this world without wanting to become one of us, 
to see him stepping into history and becoming a human being. I've seen his kindness. I've seen his compassion. I've seen what happens when he walks into a room. I've seen the changes that he can make in a marriage that nothing else can change. I know who he is, but do I know every little theological thing about him? I don't, but that's not necessary because I can tell you that he wants to be known as Father because as Jesus referred to him as Father. And I can tell you that he loves you and that he's crazy about you. And there may be some things that have happened in your life that he doesn't love, but he loves you. And because he's a good father, he'll use it in you to bring about his purposes and he'll turn it into something that you've never dreamed of. And I also want you to know that this conversation that we're having right now probably isn't an accident. He's got you on his radar. I might not have your name down in my daytime or anything like that, but he has your name written, and he wants you to come to know him. So we have to make Jesus known. Verse 45, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, and she puts Jesus off here. Messiah is the one called Christ. And when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said, I am he, I the one talking to you. So he's saying, I'm so right here. It's unbelievable, but I am that Messiah. See, when you are making Jesus known, sometimes people will put you off and they'll say, yeah, I need to deal with that sometime. And your response should be, why would you put this off? If you have a slight feeling that this is the most important decision for you to make, then don't put it off. And I'm just telling you that when you're open to conversations, no matter when they happen, no matter how they happen, and no matter who they are with, and we're ready to be present, we're ready to tackle it, not because we're awesome, but because we're dependent, when we're real, and when we speak truth into people's lives, do you know what happens? You start watching God do some amazing things. When he, he will show up in those heartfelt conversations that we're having. And then you basically say, here we go again, God. Let's do this. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And you've been singing enough songs, you've heard enough theology, but you're not doing anything with it. And maybe you're saying, I don't see the power in all of this. But you know where the power is? The power is in having heartfelt conversations where you make Jesus known. And he's just waiting for you to have them with people. In 27... Just then his followers came back from town and were surprised to see him talking with a woman. But none of them asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to town. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you think he might be the Christ? So the people left the town and went to see Jesus. So the woman at the well comes to know Jesus and then makes him known. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because of what the woman said. 
He told me everything I ever did. And when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they begged him to stay with them. So he stayed two more days, and many more believed because of the things he said. There is something fulfilling in watching someone come to Jesus that's unexplainable. And he just says here in verse 35, You have a saying, four more months till harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields ready for the harvest now. Just work four more months. See, just keep going because there's something good that is going to come. Those fields out there, they are ripe with the harvest. There are people in your life right now that are longing for a heartfelt conversation. And the Spirit has already been at work. The Spirit has been tilling the soil, been preparing you and that person for that conversation. And now we've got to be open to it. We have to be ready for it. So friends, we've got to start walking with some passion about heartfelt conversations. Jesus knew the power of one-on-one conversations, and we know Jesus, and now we must make him known.